I was at the teacher's breakfast here for the Hopewell schools last month, and someone seated at the table had a little something on their face. And it wasn't food. We hadn't started eating yet, but it was a piece of lint or something. And somebody saw it before I did, and they were seated across, and they told the person, hey, you've got something on your face. And the person said, well, I know someone likes me when they tell me the truth. Friends, don't we like to hear the truth, even if it's maybe not comforting to us, but we like people to be real with us, to be genuine with us, and to tell us the truth. You know, it reminds me of what the great economist these days said, Thomas Sowell. He said, when you want to help people, you tell them the truth. But when you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. And that's why I'm excited here today to talk about a new sermon series that we're beginning today called Grounded, because I'm passionate about telling people the truth to help you in your Christian journey and those in this world. I'm very passionate about helping people to discover the truth of Jesus Christ. And I find it extremely critical in our day that people know what we believe as Christians and why we believe it, and to understand the very roots of our Christian heritage. The fact that you're a believer in Jesus is not something that just happens right now. I mean, the Church of Jesus Christ is the oldest and longest living legacy in the world. The Church of Christ is 2,000 years old, and there were believers here before us. There are believers now scattered throughout this land in hundreds of churches here in our area, in Ohio and Kentucky and Indiana, in fact, thousands of churches and people who believe in Christ, and no doubt there are going to be many more to come after us. And we're part of a long parade, a great heritage, a lasting legacy, and what we believe is not just something that popped up a few years ago. We're not something that just somebody dreamed up one day and some type of pop sensation that just kind of materialized. But our beliefs are based in the historic events of Jesus Christ. And people have believed this for 2,000 years, and it's a long, rich heritage. So the church is just not some flyby organization. Now today, as you know, there are somewhere between uh, 200 and 300, some say 500 million Buddhists running around. There's something like 800 million Hindu and a billion or so Muslims in the world, but nearly 3 billion Christians and people here on the planet that say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they claim to be part of the greater church. That's the largest organization anywhere in the world. It's bigger than any nation, bigger than China and India put together. Nothing is as big as the Church of Christ. It's more global than anything else, too. It was global before anybody else started talking about globalization. We speak more languages than the United Nations. In fact, we've got some in our church that speak different languages. Isn't that cool? Well, the Bible is really speaking to us today, I think, through this one-chapter book of the Bible, Jude. And uh, Jackie has shared these verses with us, but there's one particular verse that I want to kind of zero in on for just a moment this morning, and it's in verse 3. For it says, contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. 
Jude. And by the way, his first name wasn't Hay. <laughs> but notice the phrase here, once and for all. What this means is that truth is truth. It's always true. If it was true a thousand years ago, it'll be true a thousand years from today. If gravity was a law that is a truth of life, then gravity will be a law 2,000 years from now because truth never changes. Now, we all know today that the Internet is full of lies and fake stories, and so we turn to places like Snopes.com to kind of find out if this thing is really true or not. Places like that try their best to debunk all of the urban legends, the fake news, the old wives' tales, and some of the bad journalism that's out there. But even these Snopes co-founders tell us it's almost impossible today to keep up with all the fake news that's out there. In fact, Dave Mickelson, one of the co-founders, came out and he called it a post-truth age, and he said the floodgate is now open and it's hard to find the truth. I was traveling over in West Virginia and trying to get to a particular church, and I don't know if you've been over in those parts of the country, but uh, it's not easy to get from point A to point B. Uh, you're going up and around hills and down hollers and all these kinds of things, and I was fortunate to have one of those Garmin GPSs because on this particular occasion, there was not only difficulty just managing through all of the, you know, the topography of West Virginia, but there was road construction, there was an accident, there were detours. And without that GPS, where I was locked on to the destination, I would have never made it to where I needed to go. And friends, today we need to lock on to the biblical truth here that we find in God's word. We need to ground ourselves in Jesus Christ and especially these historic uh, principles, these incredible founding principles of our faith. Because in a post-truth age, it's good to know there is someone who is the truth. And we're happy to tell you about him. With so many lies and false stories surrounding us, we have a story that is true and life-giving. And you know, theories and science and discoveries change, but the truth never changes. Truth is eternal. And you know, every Christian generation has passed on the faith to the next. Every Christian generation. Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. Because we're not based on philosophical thinking, we're based on historical facts. And the previous generation passed it on to us, and we're believers, and now we must pass it on to the next generation before we go. And that's my mission. That's our mission to make Jesus known in this community. You grandparents, your day is not done. We've got family that we need to nurture and share the faith with. And for some 2,000 years, the church has used primary tools in our toolbox to share the faith. For example, one of the primary tools we've used is confessions. Now notice I said confessions, not confession. Not the singular. Confession is when you saying that you are agreeing with God. You're confessing your sins to the Lord or you're sharing your faults with another. But 
confessions, that plural word, is the statements of faith that we have as part of the church. And it's a detailed description of what we Christians believe and typically tied to very specific scripture verses and passages. And over the last 2,000 years, there have been hundreds of these confessions produced to say, this is what we actually believe. We're not just an overnight sensation. Another tool that we've used is not only the confessions, but we've called it catechism. Catechism is another teaching tool that's kind of like a Q&A session, a Q&A format of teaching the basic tenets of our faith and what we actually believe and embrace as Christian people. And it's this format of giving a question and then answering and that's all catechism really means is sort of a Q&A kind of session as we communicate and share the faith. But a third tool that I want to lift up before us today is what we call the creeds. And they are typically shorter, kind of a really concise summation of what we embrace. And a creed is a short statement of belief that oftentimes could be memorized. There are some very famous creeds out there that are short enough to be memorized and they were often recited on Sunday services, Holy Communion, baptisms, and so forth, and a short statement of faith that is easy to remember. Some of the earliest creeds are found in Scripture, as we know, like in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, that great text of the Bible that speaks about what Jesus did for us and how he rose from the grave. Uh, Perhaps the earliest creed was simply, I believe in Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you today, what's your creed? What's the foundation of your life? Everybody has a creed, whether you realize it or not, everybody's got a creed. An atheist friend has a creed. Atheist creed is I don't believe in God. That's their value system. That's how they operate their life. Most creeds today of people are self-centered instead of God-centered. For example, here's a creed. I've got to do what's best for me. That's the way some people operate their life. Here's another. He who dies with the most toys wins. And boy, that's a real creed today. People believe that in life, what it's all about is acquiring as many things as you can acquire. And isn't it crazy, all of these storage places that have popped up across the land? I mean, people fill their garages, their attics, their closets, and then they go out finding additional closets and attics throughout the the community. Here's another creed, look out for number one. That's a creed. A lot of people put their creeds on their bumper stickers too, if you've ever noticed that. They have bumper stickers and that's what they think about life. That's their creed. So everybody's got a creed. Uh, B.H. Carroll, the great American theologian said, there was never a man or woman in the world without a creed. A creed is simply what you believe, what you embrace, how you operate your life, what's your worldview. And a confession is a declaration of what you believe. But a creed is often either expressed or implied. And for some 2,000 years or so, we have had hundreds of creeds and catechisms and confessions that have been generated expressing very clearly what we believe what we embrace as Christian people, what we all hold in common, regardless of your brand, whether you're Assemblies of God or Baptist or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Methodist, creeds were almost always written to to correct an error, if you've ever noticed that. 
And when there was something awry in society, they would just put it on paper what the Bible actually teaches and what we have said throughout all this time. And they would write a creed or a confession many times simply to correct an error because there were people running around even in the early centuries and when the church was first formed to kind of say, well, we really think it's this other way. And people would have to get together and they would put down exactly, specifically what we believe. And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at our grounding, some of the founding principles, some of the important pillars of our faith, because I want you to know our faith is well grounded. And I want you to be an intelligent believer and not check your brains out at the door when we come together to worship the Lord. And I don't want you to be immature or ignorant, but well-schooled and understand what the creeds, what our principles, what our beliefs are really here at the church. So I want you to know why we believe what we believe too. And so today I want us to focus for just a moment, remind you about one of these creeds that we share from time to time here at the church. It's the Apostles' Creed. You know, the Apostles' Creed is one of the oldest creeds that we have in our Christian faith. And it was developed in the first couple of hundred years or so of Christianity, almost uh, 2,000 years ago, right from the beginning. It was not actually written by the apostles, as some people believe. But since it was written very early in that apostolic father's time frame, it was called the Apostles' Creed. And all Christians agree with the Apostles' Creed. It's the oldest statement, you might say, of our Christian faith And notice there are three parts of the creed that we're all going to share here in just a few moments. And it's number 881 in the back of your hymnal. There's a part that you read in this creed that is God the Father. There's a second part that's God the Son. And a third part that's God the Holy Spirit. And the section here on Jesus Christ gets the most coverage in this creed. In fact, 10 different things are listed here that Jesus did. He was conceived, he was born, he suffered, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, he descended, he rose again, he ascended, and he's seated, and he'll come again. And the reason, of course, it spends so much time here on Jesus is it was trying to counteract an error that seemed to be growing at the time. There was a big error in the first couple of centuries of Christianity. Three different groups that were running around, the Docetus, uh, uh, Marcion, but there was also the Gnostics that were alive and well back in the day. Gnostics comes from the word, the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge, and Gnostics believed that they somehow had secret knowledge that nobody else seemed to have. If you've ever read the Da Vinci Code, you know it talks about the Gnostics. Gnostics were a false, heretical group, and their group and two other groups believed that everything of the world that was physical or material was evil. Now, we don't believe that, that that podium is evil, or that pencil, or that thing is evil, that tree or even your body, but the Gnostics believe that if it's physical and material, then it's bad. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus never said that. So the era of the day seemed to be that Jesus was God, but he really wasn't a human being because he wouldn't have had a body. Because if he'd had a body, it would have been evil. And so they believed that Jesus was God, but that he wasn't really a human being, but he just appeared 
to be a human being because he couldn't have had a body because we all know everything physical and material is evil. So this creed was written back then to talk about the humanity of Christ as well as other things. The 10 things that Jesus did, not that he was God because everybody believed that, but that they didn't believe he was a human being. And Jesus said he was a human being. He was conceived, he was born, he suffered, he was crucified, he died, and he was buried. And all these different things just say that. You know, one of the historic values of Christianity is that Jesus was 100% God and 100% human at the same time. He wasn't this kind of half and half kind of product. He wasn't kind of a hybrid like a wolverine, uh, kind of part human. Uh, you stir him up with a stick and he turns into an incredible hawk at night kind of thing, a different personality, a split kind of person. That's not at all what our Christian heritage teaches. Jesus was not a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing, but he was acting as God. And the next time he's acting as human, no but he was completely God and completely human. And they wrote this creed here very clearly to say what it means. Let me share for just a moment, and then we're gonna share it together, the 10 things here in these Apostles' Creed about the life of Christ. And I want you to think deeply about this. He was conceived by God's Spirit. And you know why? To meet our needs. He was born to be our Savior. He was suffering under Pontius Pilate to heal our hearts. He was crucified. You know why he was crucified? To make us acceptable to God. He died and was buried to free us from our fear of death. He descended and rose again. And the reason he did that, he was exalted. His humility as he went down in order to forgive our sins. He ascended to heaven to give us spiritual gifts. And he's seated with God the Father right now to advocate for us, to pray for us. And he will come again to judge and reward. Let me just ask, how could you not praise a God like that? How could you not love a God like that? How could you not serve a God like that. I want to invite you to take your hymnal and as typically has been our custom for us to stand here as Christian believers and share this creed together. So let us stand in its 881 here in the back of our hymnal today or perhaps you've already submitted it to memory but let us join in this creed followed by our closing hymn today. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born under the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.